Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of everything. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 21st episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or tune in to any of my previous episodes. In a nutshell... This show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we're resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and our understandings, both about ourselves and about the world around us, those places we don't want to look. We live in turbulent times, and we are coming to understand that life isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest this evening. Julie Last has been active in the music recording business for over four decades, starting at New York City's Record Plant Studios in the mid-1970s. She became one of only a handful of women who earned their way into the control rooms of major recording studios. She worked on albums with seminal rock bands and in 1980 was specially invited to assist in the recording of John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Double Fantasy. In New York City, she worked on the albums of Aerosmith, Talking Heads, Cheap Trick, Lou Reed, The Clash, and Brian Eno, among many others. After a move to Los Angeles, she worked primarily with leading singer-songwriters, including Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, and Sean Colvin, and in 1994 was a Grammy Selection Committee choice for Best Engineer for her recording of Ricky Lee Jones's Traffic from Paradise. She co-engineered Kirtan artist Krishna Das's al album, Live Ananda, which was nominated for a Grammy in 2012. She has also produced several major and indie label albums and has recorded her own music for CD and has had her music included in several independent films. 
She was also specially commissioned to write and record a song for the best-selling album Celtic Twilight Lullabies and has sung background vocals on recordings by Talking Heads, Joni Mitchell, and numerous local musicians. Since moving from Los Angeles to Woodstock, New York, Miss Last opened her own recording studio, Cold Brook Productions. Hello and welcome, Julie. Hello, Sandra. It's so nice to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. Oh, a very I I so love this job. I love this job. I get to do all of these wonderful, wonderful deep dives into people's work and listening to your music was like listening to prayers. Your music oh, thank you. Absolutely exquisite. Exquisite, Thanks. exquisite. And your voice is exquisite. Oh, and we're going to dive into that in a little bit, but I want to start with how I know you. So you and I met in your incredible studio that's um, in your cottage that's tucked in the woods of the Catskill Mountains. It's fantastic. And uh, it was with um, a mutual client of ours. Her name is Lotus Kay, and uh, she came in and recorded a couple of songs in your studio, uh, Trust, Fall, and Hope. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to do a shout out to you, Lotus K, and to your very proud mama, Marianne. Lotus. <laughs> yes. And I do also want to um, uh, let everyone know in this shout out that um, Lotus's music is going to drop soon. It's going to be released soon. And that Lotus has also um, come out on the autism spectrum and um, is a, an incredible spokesperson for that and, and understands that her gifts and her insight into life and her tenderness and sensitivity and all of the ways that she creates the books that she writes, etc., come from that superpower of being on the autistic spectrum, which I love. That's why she's a great spokesperson for it. And we had a glorious time in your studio. Yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely. You were a wonderful coach. Oh, well, yeah. you were terrific as well. It was, and I was just so taken with your, your, how you were working with her and bringing out great things and just being very present. And um, so let's dive in. Let's talk about your background, Julie. Um, I, I'm sure you popped out of the womb as, as a singer, Yes. <laughs> I can't remember a time when I didn't sing. That, <laughs> totally. That is totally. true. Yeah. Did you, were you so, a young person that wrote music as well early on? Did you kind of come up with your own little melodies and tunes? And did you have a, a inclination to that, that early on as well? Well, as far as writing, no. I I was one of those young girls who sat in my bedroom and listened to Joni Mitchell records endlessly um, and Judy Collins and Joan Baez and Bob Dylan, of course. Mm. And, um, you know, I just read every line of every song, memorized them, um, still could sing along. Oh, um, yeah. So I was, and then I, I got a guitar for Christmas one year and learned how to play other people's music and um, it really wasn't until my father passed away 
that I started feeling like I needed to, there were things I needed to express. Hmm. And um, how old were you when that happened? Oh, I was in my thirties. Oh Uh, my. Yeah. But I, but I had been making music all along, but I just really, really, um, you know, accepting that I had any kind of ability as a songwriter. And I just started, um, the first song I wrote was called The Future Lies in the Cradle and the Past Lies in the Ground. And um, and it was inspired by my father. And, and I, I think just the idea of, of uh, mortality and, and time passing and not wanting to waste a moment and all these feelings just started coming out. And I got good feedback from that song and it inspired me to just keep going so it's amazing how um when you get that uh, affirmation that there's so many more um more possibilities open up for you oh my yes yeah well something as enormous as that too i uh, just the 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 soul magic of being able to the the power of music to heal and uh, yeah that's just beautiful and that folks you can hear that song on youtube <laughs> is that your personal channel or is um do you have a channel or is it um i, I don't, don't have a channel um but that song Which is, is uh, you know i ended up doing a, a cd um and it's available on cd baby uh as that's a perfect. as a download so, um, yeah, that song is there, if anybody's interested. <laughs> yeah. So you are, you, what was the first album? You said you talked a little bit about the people that you were listening to. What was your first album? Do you remember? I totally remember. Oh, mine. the first album I ever bought was Revolver. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I love, uh, you know, there was my entree to the Beatles at a very young age. But, um yeah, all kinds of stuff. And, but I, and you would just comb through all of the. I love the story that I heard you share that we, where you would comb through um, all of the. In addition to loving the music and mm-hmm. and having that side of your brain engaged in that creative element, the other side of your brain was also, although it's still creative, but it was you were getting specific with some of the more technical. You were interested in the more technical elements. I loved that story. Yeah, I I would listen to, you know, I, I loved lyrics. That was my first mm-hmm. focus. But then after that, I would be paying attention to uh, to the arrangements. Like, I, I could hone in on what the bass was playing and what the drums were doing and, and what the harmony parts were. And I, I started to really be aware of all how, how all the different elements work together and fit together and then after I could kind of dissect that and appreciate it Mm. then I started wondering well how did they make those decisions who played those parts um what what is it that makes a beautiful record like what is the craft of making recordings and so once I went down that little path then it was also well why does the guitar sound like that 
what is that extra reverb on the voice? Um, how did they, uh, you know, how did they, why did they put the guitar on the left and the piano on the right? And I started really um, just my, just listening to all the, the details of what, what a record could be. And, um, and I was just fascinated by that. And I was always uh, reading the credits, you know, looking at who produced the record, who engineered it, where did they record it, who played on it. And I think actually that's something that's very sorely lacking anymore. That who did that work? Yeah. Um, so... I'm, I hope someday that will be rectified. But for now, you know, when you stream a song on iTunes, you have no idea who played on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, How it was and, all constructed. Yeah, so that was kind of my my early um, interest. And, uh, and I ended up actually, um, you know, my sort of origin story is that I lived in San Francisco. Ah. And was um, right down the street from a club called The Boarding House. And it was a place a, a bit like the bottom line in New York, or the ex-bottom line. Yes. Lots of national acts and, and um, wonderful artists passed through that club. And I used to sneak in because I was broke. Um, and one night I got caught by the sound guy sneaking in and the artist that night was Emmy Lou Harris and I really mm-hmm. wanted to see Emmy Lou and so um I talked the sound guy into letting me in but he made me promise to come back the next day and help him because his assistant had just quit so I started working for free at the club and I would wow. get and at first I just really wanted to see the music I wanted yeah. to see those but then you know I started learning about microphones and cables and mixing and um, little by little I um, you know I really got a sense of of how to work with sound live with music Mm. live Um, and then what happened was uh, the sound guy was also a musician and he was scheduled to go out on tour and so together we went to the owner of the club and he uh, the sound guy said, you know, she knows where all the bodies are buried <laughs> She's been <laughs> for a year and, uh, and I'm leaving. And so, you know, you should hire her. And the owner said, I'm not going to hire her. She's a girl. <gasps> um, so that was like kind of my first. Wow. Big thing. fat edge. Yeah. Oh my, my goodness. We're, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to interrupt you. This is a great place to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out how you moved through that edge and then went on to New York City. When yeah. we come back with singer songwriter Julie Last on the edge of every day. Stay tuned. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics in the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests 
on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. And we are back with Julie Last, and let's pick it up from that moment where he said, I'm not going to hire you because you're a girl. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just lit the flame for you, right? There, big edge of every day right there. Bang. Well, it was, um, yeah, it was kind of surprising because... Yeah. Uh, he had been seeing me working there every day. He knew I knew what was, what was happening, but um, you know, it was it was surprising to have it be so blatant. Yeah. But um, you know, I just at that moment said, "Okay, I'm not coming back." You know, so that was that was that, yeah. um, and uh, you know, later I. I took a bus cross country to New York City, um, crisscross of country uh, on the way and ended up in Manhattan. Was that your plan? I mean, did you say, you know what, if I can't do it here, I'm going to go to New York or was it more organic? It was much more like a time in my life where I was was open to having a big adventure. And so I just, my guitar in one hand and a you know, duffel bag in the other, and I got on the bus and just wanted to see the world. <laughs> so, um, so, but it ended up in New York, and uh, along my journey, I had um, met people on the bus who said, you know, if you ever get to New York, look up my cousin Bernie or whatever. <laughs> and so I had a list of numbers, and I, and the first person I called happened to be a musician who was leaving town uh, to go on tour and his house sitter had bailed on him and he needed somebody to look after his loft in Chelsea um, and feed his cat and so I 
like stumbled into this amazing situation and um he had a vinyl record collection that was like from floor to ceiling in one of these huge lofts and i just wow. would listen you know i'd listen to wonderful music he was a jazz player so it was a whole incredible library of jazz records but also everything and I sometimes would sit and just write down where the records were recorded. And I started making a list of studios in New York and I started uh, calling places and going around and seeing if I could get a job as an engineer. You know, really, I, it was kind of selfish because more than anything else, I wanted to learn how to do it so I could record my own music. But once I really got in the door, um, I found that the whole process of working in the studio was its own kind of creativity, its own instrument. Mm-hmm. Like a studio is an instrument. Yes. And working with some of the artists that I had an opportunity to work with, I just learned a lot about the process of making decisions and um, crafting songs and and one thing that often came up is working with some of my heroes. Um, some of them got knocked off their pedestals, and I won't say who, but <laughs> you know, there was a realization that people are flawed no matter how famous you are. Indeed. And, um, and, but there were also times when I worked with people who I really admired and their esteem rose in my eyes oh, and Joni, sure. Joni Mitchell was one of those people um and well, be, before I want to we get into Joni Mitchell I I want to hear how you got in the door I want to hear that story I mean that you know as somebody who's paid who's like the trailblazer I want to hear that story please well I I call call the studios and say I would like to come and speak to to you about a job and so some places said, well, we're not interested, but some places said, come. Mm. And I had kind of a, a resume that wasn't very impressive, but, um, I w- or I would call them and say, I'd like to drop off a resume. And then I would try and talk my way into speaking to a manager or somebody there. Of course. Um, and most of the time they just kind of took my resume and showed me the door. Sometimes I, I remember one guy, uh, kind of a famous producer at a big studio, like putting his arm around me and saying, oh, honey, you don't want to do this. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a nice receptionist job for you. So um, I met a lot of resistance because it was really only a handful of women doing it at the time. Um, it, it just was not something people were open to or even had considered Mm. and I finally had an appointment at a studio called the record plant which was one of the biggest studios in New York at the time and there there was a woman who was at a management level there who told me that um I could first of all she said well you you're not going to last two weeks but come back tomorrow and let's just see what happens 
So I did. I came back the next day and the next day and the next day. And I just did all the crappy shit jobs. And uh, <laughs> little by little, kind of people started to get used to me being there. And, um, you know, they had, it was a real hierarchy, um, like sort of an apprenticeship where mm-hmm. you start out, you know, making coffee and getting food for people and um, cleaning the toilets even maybe. And then uh, you worked your way into the tape library, logging all the tapes that were recorded that day. And at that time it was big 22 inch 24 track tapes <laughs> that weighed a ton. Um, but every, you know, every session, they had all everything had to be logged and, um, identified and then uh when you did that for a while then the assistant engineers would often bring their friends in in the middle of the night you know starting at one or two in the morning and they work with their friends during the off hours and then so then the tape library people could assist for the assistants Uh and then eventually when you did that for a while and you got your hands dirty or you know you got you got a sense of what to do and how to act and what things um how things were put together then they might put you in with a real client yeah tell us about that the first time you're in with a client who was that bang you're in the door now okay that's kind of a little bit of a long story but it's important so uh, yeah (laughs) let's do it okay so the first project I got put on was a band called the dictators which they at the time they were kind of a grungy rock band and um the I wasn't quite ready they I I they threw me in because the normal assistant was sick and they needed somebody so they put me in and the engineer on the project was quite a, um, a well-known busy guy he was he had done a lot of hit records and he was in the middle of he was probably doing two or three records at the same time probably not sleeping probably totally stressed out maybe there were some drugs involved <laughs> um, but he was just kind of in the room and checked out you know, he had probably had a newspaper over his face and his feet up on the desk. Um, and the, the lead singer was doing his part in an isolation booth with the lights off. And I was running the tape recorder. And with those 24-track machines, you, there, there's a thing called punching in and punching out. So you can keep what's already been recorded, and then you push the record button, and you can start a new recording, and then you punch out, and you keep what comes after that so but the machines had a little bit of a lag time so you really had to get a feel for when to push that button because if you pushed it too soon you would erase you might erase something that you wanted to keep and there was no undo back then Um, and if you did it too late you would maybe miss some of the recording that you wanted to catch so it was really had a sense of it and so he he sang his vocal. There was one line he wanted to do again, and and it was very close. Like the end of the line that we wanted to keep, 
and the beginning of the line that we wanted to do again were very close to each other. And likewise, at the other end, mm. the next line that was supposed to come in was very close. So it was, um, he and he couldn't get it right. Like he, oh. he kept singing it over and over and over. And, and I kept getting it perfectly every time. And, you know, but it was, it was nerve wracking. Because yeah. um, like I said, there's no undo if you get it wrong. Right. And so one time he sang the line and he held the note a little bit longer at the end. And I waited till he finished and I punched out. And when we played it back, it had clipped the beginning of the next line that they wanted to keep. Um, so the engineer who had been sleeping, maybe, or just checked out, he took the newspaper off his face, stood up, he looked around the room and he, he pointed around the room and he said, everybody get out. And then he looked at me and he said, except you. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, I love it. This is my first session with a, you know, with a paying client. <clears throat> and, Fantastic. Uh, so everybody left. And he picked up one of those ashtrays. If you guys can remember what ashtray. <laughs> yes. um, and it was one of those ones that was like a big crystal cut glass thingy that was probably weighed five pounds. And he picks this thing up. It was full of cigarette butts and, you know, pot, <laughs> you know, joint pieces and um and he just picked it up and he threw it at me like like a frisbee oh my goodness and, and it um it missed my head by not much like I had to duck and then he started screaming don't you ever do that again not on my session I don't want to ever see you here again you know you you know I don't know what you're doing here he had wow. it in for me from the beginning I think, but um, it was terrifying. I'm sure. And he went storming out of the room and I was left in there alone, shaking. Of and course. I walked out the door and right there was the restroom. And I walked into the bathroom. I locked the door and I could barely stand. It was My legs were shaking so much. Um, I, nobody ever talked to me that that way again. I mean, I never, ever had anybody yelled at me like that. Um, and I was like, just with my arms on the sink, just trying to keep myself upright. Mm. And I looked into the mirror and I had this moment where I just said, you know what? That was not okay. And nobody's going to ever talk to me like that again, because I'm not going to give them a reason to. And it gave me this incredible um, feeling that I was going to do this, that I was going to do it well, and that I was going to not have anybody ever treat me like that again. So, um, it was a watershed moment for me. I could have walked Indeed. out the door with my tail between the le my legs and said, I can't do this or, you know, fuck these people. I can't, mm. I, I don't want to be around this anymore. 
but I it it actually had the opposite. Impassioned you, inflamed yes. you. <laughs> it just solidified my feeling that this was something I could do, and not just for myself, but I really felt like there was I needed to prove it to everybody else that this was possible. That having a woman in the control room was something that was an an advantage and not a disadvantage There's which is a... the way people thought of it at that time absolutely and that's a perfect place for us to take a break hold that thought and we will continue that and hear about your move to los angeles and we'll get into stories about other clients and your your movement into full-on engineering and trailblazing when we are back Julie Last. Stay tuned on the edge of every day. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. And we are back with Julie Last on the edge of every day. So you have this incredible watershed moment and you commit and you move in as assistant in in that studio. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, as always the case, there's so much to ask. There's so much I want to hear, but there's only an hour. So I have to skip chapters um, you finally made your, your decision to move to Los Angeles after mm -hmm. you've started your career uh, or um, moved into assisting on with uh, an incredible list of people. You, what was the impulse to move to Los Angeles and to begin to work with singer-songwriters like Joni Mitchell out there? Was mm -hmm. it because the, the studio closed in New York City? No, the studio still, uh, it doesn't exist now. 
but it was still going strong when I left. Um, I think one of the things was the, um, just the music changed. Ah, Uh, yes, of course. You know, uh, in the early 80s, you know, we were getting into hip hop and rap. The earliest hip hop and rap was very misogynist, very violence oriented. And um, and more and more of that work, I, I left the record plant. I went to a smaller studio where they were at the record plant it was a big, fantastic studio. But I kind of felt like I was never going to get a chance to be in the driver's seat. As much as they supported me, and I did have mentors there who saw how hard I worked and, and, you know, championed you, took me into their into their world. But um, I just felt like there was going to not be an opportunity to really drive the ship. And I got hired at a smaller studio where they said I would do that. But they started getting more and more. of of that kind of rap and hip hop work. And it just, I didn't resonate with it. Um, I didn't resonate with the music. And also there was even more resistance to having a woman. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, The irony of that, yeah. And and I, I had been in New York for 10 years and I just felt like it was time time for a change. So um, LA being the other big recording center and also the home of so many of the artists that had influenced me right from Mm -hmm. the beginning um it just kind of made sense to make a big shift it meant starting over completely but um i did get hired at another big studio there called ocean way and got to work with a lot of a lot of my uh singer songwriter heroes and um including Joni Mitchell, who, who did an album at this particular studio where I was on staff. And near, near the end of the album, I started hearing her and her producer talking on the phone about equipment and architects. And it was clear that they were building a studio in their house uh, and in Bel Air in L.A., and so near the end of the album, I approached Joni and I said, look, you know, when you get your scene going, if you need an assistant, I would love to come work with you. And so she took my number and we had gotten along perfectly well during during the record. And um, so she took my number and I afterwards I thought, oh, yeah, sure. She's going to call me. <laughs> 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 um but then, you know, maybe six or eight months later, she, she did. And she said, we're ready to go. Any, you know, we're going to start on Monday. Can you be here? And um, at the time, I was actually working on another project, and I had to finagle some things to, to, mm-hmm. um, to do it. But uh, I ended up working with her in her house with her, her husband, the producer. And we did actually three records there. And um, she, I got to hand it to her, you know, home studios are ubiquitous now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got one. But back then it was quite unusual. Um, yeah, I don't, as as she often does, she was a trailblazer. Yes, indeed. She, well, yeah. 
she did this thing that was very much out of the ordinary. She wanted to get away from the record company hold on the budgets. Yes. And what she wanted to do her own thing. And so they created this wonderful studio in their home. And I had the pleasure of working with her there. So and and tell me, was there something was was her her getting older and feeling the 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 onslaught of more misogynistic um music also partially what moved her into wanting her own studio i mean this whole issue of trailblazing for women and doing mm. thinking outside the box right i i can't speak for her of course but i know that um she was not you know she was not at the top of her career at that point mm. Uh, in terms of record sales, not certainly in terms of her art, Art. but uh, I think she was feeling the pressure from the record company to, um, to limit how much money she could spend on, on the actual budget of her records. Mm. And she didn't like that limitation. Of course. So having much more autonomy, I think was attractive to her and, um, and, and not have to watch the clock and all those things. And it served her well. She did some incredible work there. Do you feel that there is something quintessentially feminine about how you engineer? Is it possible um, that that became you became known for as as if it were a superpower of yours in the studio that's quintessentially female mm. uh, you know it's it's funny <laughs> it's funny you say that because I did engineer I engineered a record with with Joni I was the assistant mm-hmm. but I did get a chance to engineer a record with Ricky Lee Jones. And uh, just a little bit of backstory. It was an, another case where I had worked at a studio. I'd, le- I'd left, uh, I'd le- actually left to do Joni's record. And they called me one day and they said, well, one of our assistants sick. Can you just come fill in for a week? And it was on, um, on this Ricky Lee Jones record. And I was there for an afternoon. And um, that night I got got a call from the engineer and he had come down with the same illness that the the other assistant had. And he called me, he said, I can see, you know what you're doing. Can you just fill in for me tomorrow? I should be back. And so I, I engineered for a day with Ricky Lee. And at the end of that day, she called the engineer and said, don't come back. Wow. So, so I just fell into this Ricky Lee Jones project which was very difficult. She's not an easy, um, not an easy artist. Brilliant, but not easy. But at the end of the record, um, she actually said, you did that just like a man would have done. <laughs> and, um, and I took it as a compliment. I, indeed, I'm sure she meant it, an interesting way of phrasing it, but of course, of the uh, time. 
you know, I think in, in a sense, just having some um, facility with the technical issues, but also uh, listening and cr- helping her create her, she produced it, was which was a first. So I think she appreciated having another woman who was there to support her and not feel intimidated by some some male energy in the room. Yeah. Um, so she, I think she really, you know, she gave me a, a good opportunity and I'm very much grateful to her for that. Um, and the record was very well received by the critics. And um, I guess it, just back to your question about the superpower, I think that one thing I that I can bring I, I, hopefully that my, you know, my technical abilities and my listening abilities, you know, are on a par with just about any of my peers. But what I can bring that's different is um, perhaps more of a sensitivity to somebody's vision <clears throat> and um, a sensitivity to the vulnerable place you're at when you're actually trying to create a performance because I have been on both sides of the glass, which not very many engineers have. Mm. Um, So as far as supporting someone's uh, path as they work their way through expressing themselves, I feel like that's something that I, you know, I really care about and I want, help people through that process Beautiful. and I don't often see that um, happening with with male engineers yes. not to say they don't care of course that, but it's but it's just how it's expressed it, yeah so well when we come back we're going to take another break and when we come back with the extraordinary Julie Last we're going to hear about what you're working on today, a bit about your studio, how COVID has changed you, but um, I also really want to focus on your move out of the gate to Woodstock. What was the spur to make that happen, and how was moving to uh, um, a smaller market, um, but a more natural market, uh, although there was plenty of going on in Woodstock, um, but we, we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back. Uh, let's stay tuned with Julie Last on the Edge of Every Day. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. 
cat lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, keep my brain to the ground. These are the days it never On the edge of every day with singer-songwriter Julie Last, we are back. So I, I just love the, this idea that you, 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 you make this shift from, quote-unquote, the big time in Los Angeles to, and, and I said smaller market in Woodstock, and I don't mean to say smaller market in that it's not completely um, so much going on here as, as those in Woodstock know, but it's a different vibe, and it's a different understanding of your creative life. Can you speak to that edge for our mm. listeners? Sure. Um, I think <clears throat> I'd always loved Woodstock. When I lived in Manhattan, mm. I used to take the bus up here when I felt the need to walk on dirt <laughs> for a change. Um, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with Woodstock. And when I was in L.A., um, I started dreaming. I started dreaming about walking through fields of tall grass. I bought a pickup truck. Wow. Um, I <laughs> I don't know why. I just wanted to have a pickup truck. And I started a garden, uh, which amazingly, nobody in L.A. does vegetable gardening with this <laughs> world. Why not? I don't know. You're on the cutting but, edge. Yeah. Um, so there was just clearly something in my soul that was wanting a country, a country life, you know, a more, a more connection with nature. And, um, and I, you know, I knew Woodstock was a town that was full of music. And I figured it would be a good place where there would be a community where I could keep doing what I love doing and mm. and still be in a different environment. It just seemed perfect. Yeah. And it took a little while to get things going here, but um, I've never looked back. I mean, the, the talent pool that's here. Ordinary. Any big city. You better and believe it. The community of, of musicians and the way everybody plays on each other's projects and supports each other. Um, I just couldn't have asked for a better tribe to be a part of. Mm. And when I finally decided to create my own recording studio here, um, part of that was inspired by the fact there were, there were musicians here that I wanted to work with who, who um, were having trouble getting their music recorded. 
mostly financially, but for whatever reasons. And I wanted to have, I wanted to provide an opportunity for people to be able to, you know, share their gifts without any kind of tremendous pressure on their finances. And I made a decision to work on a sliding scale and I made a decision to, you know, to try and support um, smaller projects whenever possible, if it was something I believed in. So creating my own studio here has been an opportunity to do that, to help, to help musicians and artists like Lotus, who we spoke of at the beginning of the show, um, and did this move, this creation also, and the move to Woodstock and the connection to Earth, how did that inform your work, your your own singing and your own um, recording and your own writing? Oh, well, I think more than anything, having my own space has been great for me, too, because I can... I can do my own work here. So that's been that's been a big part of it as well. But um one thing that that I that's evolved out of being here is that I'm not just engineering anymore. I'm producing. So mm-hmm. I'm taking all the knowledge and experience that came with me to Woodstock and I'm able to use that to help shape people's creative projects. And, um, and actually, you know, if you hire me, I'm not just going to be an engineer. I'm going to be a participant in the creative process. So people come to me for that and um, very much enjoy helping people get into the weeds and work out ideas and it, nothing makes me happier than to have somebody say, wow, you know, it turned out better than I ever would have imagined. Or I learned something along the way, and now I'm better. I'm a better musician because of it. So I am lucky. I, I get to hear that yeah. fairly frequently. I would, I would bet. I would, I'm sure mm-hmm. of it. So mm-hmm. people can find you. Um, at um, you, tell us where our audience can find the, you. The studio website is www.coldbrookproductions.com. Just how it sounds, Coldbrook. Coldbrookproductions.com. And you also have a Facebook page for both Coldbrook Productions and for yourself. Right. Excellent. And all your contact information is right there on the website. Yep. Fantastic. Um, oh, I'm, I'm. We only have two minutes to the till we <laughs> leave, but I just so want you to make some sort of statement on on where you see music shifting and how is that in support of the work that that mm. you're doing. Okay. Well, I think it. When I started, if you wanted to make a record, you had to have $150,000 and it had to be bankrolled by a record company. 
But now, because the technology has changed so much, um, it's available and accessible to just about anybody. And that's a good thing and not a good thing. You know, the it's a blessing. every day. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse because um, more, much more music is available and that's a blessing and a curse. Mm. Um, so, but I, I see that... Uh, the you know that the technology is becoming more um easier for people to to deal with so uh it it's good it gives people more of an opportunity to be creative and so i think that's one change that we're all experiencing particularly post covid particularly post covid indeed well julie last i thank you kindly i i could just go on and on and I'm hoping that you will agree to come back and share more stories. I would love to have you back since this is just the tip of the iceberg for our listeners. But I want to thank you for your time, for sharing your knowledge and your stories and your wisdom and your beautiful voice. Thank you so much. And again, that's coldbrookproductions.com and you can find me at sandrabargeman.com. I'd like to thank you all for listening in to The Edge of Every Day. Remember, we are always at the edge of the miraculous. Until next week, thank you again for tuning in. Have a great week. Good night.